Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Welcome to Still Watching WandaVision. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. If you're just joining us for the first time, this is a multi-tier podcast project that we are doing around the Disney Plus Marvel show WandaVision, which just had a big, big episode this week, a big, big moment at the end of it. We're going to talk about all of that. First, I'm going to talk to Richard about it. And see what he thinks is going on. And then I might get uh, about nine levels down nerdy with uh, Anthony Breskin, our colleague, for our uh, final section of the podcast, where we get really into the comic book weeds and what it all means. Um, and in the middle of all of that, right smack dab in the middle, uh, we have a lovely interview with Kat Dennings, who plays Darcy Lewis, Dr. Darcy Lewis. So um, that is what we have in store for you today. We've got some emails. We've got some theories. It's pretty. It's a pretty exciting time to be covering the show. Uh, Richard, I know that folks, if they want to, they can email us, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Do you have any emails this week that we can discuss? Yeah, the emails are rolling in, so thank you all for sending them. Um, the first one I wanted to call out was from Melissa, who says, I was thinking a bit about the limitations of Wanda's powers and if she can, in fact, create people from, quote, nothing. From what we learned in episode four about most of the townspeople being played by real Westview residents, it would appear that Wanda isn't creating people or the town from scratch. Uh, we now know that to be true. That, that's Richard speaking. Back to Melissa. She's projecting a reality <laughs> on top of them. The same is true of Westview. She didn't dream it up in the middle of an empty field. She's layered over an existing real town with her fantasy. I think we've seen her create objects before, though, so that might poke a hole in my theory. So, what are the twins being projected onto? If they're not being dreamed up from whole cloth by Wanda, that is. I think the timing of the show might come into play here. If we're three weeks out from the return of the, from the snap, maybe Wanda found out that she was pregnant after Vision died, so she could be actually pregnant with twins in real life, but she's accelerating their aging and birth in Westview reality. And what if finding out she was pregnant was the inciting incident for her taking over Westview and creating a fantasy there? She's not just mourning Vision's death, she's mourning a life they could have had together as a family. And that might also explain the sitcom setting. She's putting herself into idyllic family scenarios that she and Vision and the twins can experience together. I think that uh, a lot of that email kind of bears out in this episode. Don't you? Yeah, I mean, this idea that, like, um... 
she didn't create Monica's clothing from nothing. They like came from her Kevlar vest and stuff like that. This idea of her repurposing matter. Mm. I, and, and ditto like with vision that she's definitely working off, um, the body parts that she stole from a lab. Uh, but, um, but I don't know. I feel like the twins might be an exception. Um, you'll notice that her, her magic doesn't work on them. So, um, and, and historically in the comics, like she does create those twins out of something, mm-hmm. but it's not quite the same as like reanimating Vision's body or something like that. Or, 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 and I don't, and I also don't know how she would be pregnant from Vision in the first place, given that he's an android. Um, but I don't know the answer to that. Stranger things have happened in the MCU, but I, but I, but I, but I like the email a lot. Yes. And, um, there definitely is something that sort of kicked Wanda off here. What do you think, Richard? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's hard for me to sort of think about the kids because if they're sort of created in this Westview alternate reality, like, does that mean that they don't exist when this ends? I don't know, but I, I, I know comic book rules kind of allow for a lot. Um, certainly vision was kind of created and existed for a while. So like, why not these kids, um, no matter where they're from. But I do think that like the, um, oh, I should add that Melissa did, um, say something that I think that we had echoed, uh, you and I had said, uh, earlier about, um, she says, and aside, I don't know if I love that Wanda's identity and actions are so tied into motherhood, especially after the black widow sterilization stuff, but we'll see. Right. And I think that, yeah, right. that, you know, if, if we're kind of locating all of Wanda's, motivation in this series as like a kind of a you know i just wanted my little white picket fence family life thing it might be a little bit reductive of um of a person's complicated uh you know emotions and 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 intellectual life but um yeah i can see i could see the the child thing being um in on you know in 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 concert with her grief over vision uh, as being enough of a reason to uh, create a fictional family unit yeah, absolutely. What else? Uh, you know, all right. We have an email from, let's see, from Tracy. Firstly, thanks so much for your amazing work. My 12-year-old son and I regular, regularly listen to your various podcasts and always watch any series or movie that you recommend, knowing it will be worth our time. 12-year-old watching We Are Who We Are. Good. Progressive. <laughs> uh, and listening to your podcast has helped me through some tough times over the past months. So please just know how much I appreciate what you do. Thank you, Tracy. That's very nice. She goes on to say, just a little thought on the latest WandaVision episode with regard to the fact that Dottie is not shown at all on the FBI wall of missing persons. I was talking this over with my son, and we were trying to come up with theories. I said, well, who else isn't on the wall? He says, well, Monica isn't there. I said, that's because the FBI already knows who she is because she's one of them. And he said to me, well, maybe they already know who Dottie is because she's one of them. It also seems interesting to me that it was Dottie's blood that turned red when the radio message infiltrated Wanda's illusion. At first, I just thought the color seeped in because the radio call was an outside-the-bubble creation that interrupted the illusion, in the same way the drone was in color because it was an outside-the-bubble creation that interrupted the illusion. But is it significant that it was Dottie's blood that became colored rather than the radio? Could she be from the outside-the-bubble and be known to the FBI, and that's why she's not on the wall? Just a thought. Would love to know what you think. With love from Australia, Tracy and Dexter. Thank you, Tracy and Dexter. Oh, Thanks for listening. Yay. I love that. I also love that they're centering Emma Caulfield as like potentially like uh-huh. a big deal uh, in the episodes to come. Um, Same. And I, yeah, I think we've talked about this. Um, I, I don't think that that character is there kind of as a throwaway accident. Like I, I would have to imagine right. that there is more to come from her. 
Yeah, we talked. I've talked a little bit about this with Anthony, but I'm so excited to talk to you about it because um, we share an Emma Caulfield love. Um, I don't know the answer. Um, I, I thought it was odd that Dottie wasn't on the board last week, and then she wasn't on the board again this week because some folks were like, "Oh, maybe they hadn't gotten to her yet, or maybe they hadn't, you know, observed her yet." But I, I was sort of squinting at the board this week, uh, and she's still not up there. Mm. I find that very suspicious because Agnes is up there. It doesn't have a driver's license, and that's suspicious in and of itself. Yeah. But Dottie not being up there at all has me like really looking. Um, I have this pet theory. Um, maybe maybe she is from the outside world. I, I I that is certainly a possibility. I don't know who she is. I have a pet theory, um, based entirely on hair color. Do you want to hear? It? Please, this is the place for pet theories about hair hair color. <laughs> All right, so she's blonde, uh, Agnes has dark hair, and Wanda has red hair. Um, and especially in this episode, episode five that we just watched, um, two of those ladies are rocking like some serious perms. And that made me think of The Witches of Eastwick, which has Susan Sarandon as a redhead, Michelle Pfeiffer as a blonde, and Cher um, as a raven-haired beauty and a lot of perms to go around. And uh, I was like, Witches of Eastwick which is of Westview. Like, I feel like Dottie is, if not actually a witch, just like a, a third in a triad of powerful women. That's my like personal pet theory. I like about that. What's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of kind of cultural precedent for that kind of, uh, arrangement. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're talking about the power of three. <laughs> well, Cheryl Blossom, Betty and Veronica, you know, like, sure. Um, yes. Yes. We, Icons. If I, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to stop talking about Archie on this. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, I think any possibility is fun as, you know, if we get more of Dottie um, and I, you know, maybe she and Agnes are, uh, is it, that's Agnes, right? Not Agatha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe yeah, yeah. they're like the su- they're super villains. I mean, you know, uh, Wanda does say in this episode, "You really think it's meme doing all of this?" Right. Um, so exactly. clearly, it's not. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that um, Tracy and Dexter are onto something. And something um, that I thought was interesting, Emma Caulfield gave an interview where she said, you know, she's worked with Jack Schaefer, who's a showrunner before on uh, this independent film Timer, um, and something that. She, you know, so it's like Jack called Emma up and was like, Hey, Emma, you want to work? You know what I mean? Like that's, that, that happens all the time in Hollywood. But what Emma said is that Jack needed the sign off from Kevin Feige to cast Emma. Now it might be that Kevin Feige is personally overseeing every single role being cast in every single Marvel TV show. But what might also be true is that she's playing a big enough character that it needed a sign off from the top brass, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and also the way that she's been used in the show, I think, is so interesting because, like, she's not in every episode. She is a really memorable part of episode two. And, like, Agnes says all this stuff about her, about how she's, like, the key to everything. She's, like, you know, she's talking about her as, like, queen of the social circle, right? But she's, like, she's the key to the whole town. And, like, her her flowers bloom upon penalty of death and, like, all this, like, weird stuff. And then she just kind of goes away. But we haven't forgotten about her because she makes such a memorable impression but it's like the perfect kind of like if this were like an agatha christie novel it's the perfect person to come back and be the murderer because they're not in every scene reminding us of them like who they are but they're they're memorable enough for us that we won't be like well that came out of nowhere you know what i mean yeah totally oh i'm excited i'm a coffee (laughs) especially because like agnes really seems to if she's the one kind of describing dotty that way like agnes in this episode like is you know oh should i take that again like she's very much like yeah. hyper conscious of this you know illusion um 
and whether she's kind of playing subservient because she's actually pulling the strings, uh, who knows? But, um, yeah, I think we've got more to come from both those characters, which is exciting. Very exciting. Um, all right. I want to go, uh, back to something that you actually, (laughs) I think you might've cracked something wide open last week, Richard. Are you ready? Oh, please. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you about this. So last week, you know, you told me that you've been doing some, uh, some 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 googling about Wanda's sons um and <laughs> yeah. and their sexual orientation and all that sort of thing and we were talked about like the possibility of like maybe there's like <clears throat> we've been long waiting for i say we uh f- fans have been waiting for the MCU to get like ever more uh with the times in terms of like what kind of stories they center and um so this idea that like perhaps with two queer sons, a gay storyline or a gay romance might be integral. I mean, we only have a few episodes less of the season. We might just be kicking something off for the future, but might be something that we see in one division. And you and I had talked about this character, this actor, Isaiah, Knott, who plays, uh, who's credited only as the boy next door. And you being like the wonderful Richard Lawson that you are went immediately to that young man's Instagram to like, see what was what. And, uh, and you noted that there was like a post from him there, right. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. like, there was like a promo still and him and his WandaVision sweatshirt. Uh, I tweeted about that and I linked to it and then that guy deleted it. Um, Uh-oh. and then <laughs> I hope then, he didn't get anyone in trouble. <laughs> I really hope he didn't get him in trouble. Well, then he reposted it, but he reposted it without that publicity still of him. Like, behind the picket fence like that's gone but the rest of it came back so uh i I definitely hope we didn't get anyone in trouble but it makes me think like like that you're super onto something richard um that's you know that to me feels like he might be more than just like a boy next door cameo i mean especially if he has his own publicity still um so the the primary suspect for who we might be playing is this character hulkling who is a love interest um for one of Wanda's boys. So, you know, that's, and, and as we see on this episode, the boys are growing very fast. So. Yeah. And if they're doing sitcom tropes, teenagers are absolutely a, 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 a major component of family sitcom tropes. You know, exactly. um, you have, obviously, you know, you have, you have, you have Nikki and Alex on full house because Michelle got too old. So then you have like the middle kid and then you have the teen, you know, it, it's very programmatic. <laughs> right, right. Um, and uh, they seem to be working their way through everything else. So why not? Um, you know, annoying girl crazy teens or boy crazy teens. And the other thing I want to say is that I I wish I had the full quote in front of me. I don't. But in a very recent call, oh, there we go. Um, Kevin Baggy said, a Southeast Asian superhero is coming to Disney Plus sooner than you think on a recent call. Um, which makes me think like Isaiah Knott, who um, I have not investigated exactly. Um you know, is, is, looks like you might be like Filipino, something like that. So, um, I don't Mm. want to presume, but like that, that could be part of the dots we're putting together here. So, uh, so I like that. And I love, I love that like Richard in in just being yourself, uh, may have stumbled onto something very big here. So that makes me Well, look at that. I'm good (laughs) at this. It turns out. You are. Um, all right. So let's talk about, the big thing that happens at the end of this episode. And I want, I want first, I want Richard, what your thoughts or understandings are about uh, a certain person showing up at the very end of this episode. 
Yeah. So what had happened? What happened was, um, I was with you know the other three people in my coven, and we we were calling the corners, and and I we just <laughs> we we had been missing Evan Peters. You know, we hadn't seen him mm-hmm. in something in a while, and so we basically conjured him up. I think so. Hope everyone's happy. Um, no, he's it's it's Evan Peters. It's Quicksilver from the from Days of Future Past, the from the X Men universe, uh-huh. um, yeah. which was always a kind of funny thing where when X Men was siloed over at Fox and. You know, Disney had the rest of Marvel that there would be two actors playing Quicksilver at the same time. Um, and so now they have found now that they're all under the same cozy <laughs> corporate umbrella, <laughs> they have found a way to kind of ironically comment on that in much in the same way. I'm told that the next Spider-Man movie will incorporate potentially Andrew Garfield right. and Tobey Maguire in some sort of multiverse situation. Um, so I thought that was a clever way to do what something we had talked about a few weeks ago about this rumor or thought that that eventually they were going to have to bring mutant mythology into the world of mm. avengers because they're all linked under the same marvel umbrella so uh, or whatever um corporate property um and uh and this is a kind of funny meta way to do it and uh, i was surprised and i'm really curious to see if this is just a kind of one-off little joke thing or if there's actually going to be something more deeply like you know, textual about it. Yeah, this is something, this is a bit of casting that actually leaked out like a long time ago, um, but was never formally announced. Um, and so there was a question, like there was a very strong rumor that Evan Peters was in WandaVision in some capacity, and we're still unsure exactly how big uh, this part may be. Um, you were reading my Evan like, Peters news update uh, Twitter feed? <laughs> I was, I was, uh, American hunk story.com. <laughs> uh, but, uh, like <laughs> we, we knew that he was going to be in the show, just not who he was playing necessarily. And like, of, of course, a lot of people were like, maybe he's playing Quicksilver. Maybe there'll be two Quicksilvers. Yeah. Quicksilver, di- Aaron Terrell Johnson's version of Quicksilver died in Age of Ultron, but like Vision died. So what, you know, what's up, what's down, what's real? Uh, it doesn't matter. So like, maybe we'll have both, maybe we'll have him instead. And that'll just be like a little winking joke, or maybe it's something bigger and more serious about, um, you know, bringing in all these other characters. And I think when you think about the way that Kevin Feige has talked about, He's talked about this storyline that's going to kick off in WandaVision is going to go through Spider-Man and into the new Doctor Strange movie, which is called the multi multiverse of madness. And that it's this idea that like yeah, Wanda is in that movie, right? That's already yes. been kind of announced right. that like Elizabeth mm-hmm. Olsen is like a major cast member. Yes. That she's got a major role in that movie. And then I think Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, who plays Doctor Strange, is gonna be in the Spider-Man movie. So it's like a it's a trilogy of sorts. Mm. This multiverse trilogy, perhaps, and that this might be, uh, speaking of inciting incidents, this might be the inciting incident. That somehow Wanda or maybe one of the other powerful people who might be involved in the story have plucked (laughs) a character from a different universe and put them down here in Westview. And that that might be a crack that just widens um, as everything goes forward. Intriguing. Um, is that interesting? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, you I, know, mean, so, I, I, yeah. I, I don't know how much I'm in the minority here, but um, I really, really love Days of Future Past. I mean, I know that the person who directed it is not a good person, but like, I yeah. think that movie is 
really like interesting and I like time travel stuff that kind of deals with like the tragedy of time travel and 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 I think that it's a really great movie and that's kind of heavy and serious but then there's this wonderful interlude with Evan Peters's character that's this kind of slow-mo thing where he's he's moving fast but we see him slow you know and and so it's it's fun to sort of see him um brought back i mean he's been in other subsequent x-men movies but like uh yeah i i don't know i think it's 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 cool and, and could potentially um you know that it's paving the way to introduce x-men which is the kind of the superhero stuff that i somewhat you know paid attention to when i was a kid uh is 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 promising something that um feige said in his um interview with us was this idea that like when they go to cast things like when they decide put together infinity war endgame they had a literal wall with like trading cards of all the characters that they had introduced and they had in their disposal big and small right and that they did something kind of similar when casting WandaVision. They were like, well, and that's how they like plucked Randall Park from Ant-Man and Darcy Lewis from Thor is like, th- that's how they're populating their world now. They've seeded so many things all over the place that they could do that. But I think what, you know, definitely what he didn't say then, but what could potentially be true is that this board may be way bigger than we're thinking. And that on that board are all the characters and actors that feige thinks worked well in the fox world in the sony world in um and and in the netflix world because there's rumors that charlie cox's daredevil might be showing up in something so like what i think is true is that feige and his infinite wisdom is trying to create a storyline starting perhaps here starting perhaps today where in his guise as, you know, benevolent <laughs> overlord of this massive corporation uh, of, of intellectual properties now, he's not going to disavow these things that came before, but rather embrace them in a fun meta way, multiverse way, and make them part of the ongoing story he's telling. Yeah, might as well. You can do whatever, yeah. you know, they can do whatever they want, you know, which is maybe fearsome in a sort of uh cultural way but like yeah, um true. but yeah there's there are they they invent the rules they own the rules like why not you know uh if, if and and i think they have proven pretty consistently over the years that like they find a clever way you know and i think this is the beginning of that i think it's a clever reveal um that i mean i don't know how do you think i how, do you think people really needed to be like familiar with the the other Quicksilver to really have this moment land? Or do you think it would have landed no matter what? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I definitely, I definitely know some people who this is their first Marvel thing they're ever watching. Uh huh. And in that way, they're not going to know. Right. That this is a different Pietro because even when they were showing us like archive footage of Wanda, like in protests and Sokovia and stuff like that, um, Aaron Taylor Johnson was cut out of the frame. So we haven't seen him in this show. So, you know, it it is going to require them to turn to to their Marvel-educated friend and be like, why is everyone freaking out about this guy here? Um, Because Wanda... It's not, she recognize she recognizes that it's not the Pietro that she knows, right? Totally. That's what it seems like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She knows something's wrong, but she's also, like... It's part of the, like, it's a lot of complicated things at once because she seems to know something's wrong, but also she's so willing to be embraced by a comforting fiction throughout this that I think, you know, she's going to, like, 
go with it for how long she goes with it. I don't know, but it seems like maybe she might go with it. So, but yeah, I mean, just this idea, I just think it's, you know, Tom Holland has been doing all his promo for um, his, his film cherry. And you know, we, people who like to know what's happening in Marvel, like to pay close attention to Tom Holland interviews because he tends to like loose lips, uh, sing ships, say things. things. (laughs) He hasn't really said that. Um, He's been uh, well media trained since perhaps, but he's been saying stuff about, he's been saying the usual sort of boilerplate hype stuff about the Spider-Man movie in terms of like, this is the biggest, most epic movie ever, you know? And usually I just sort of like roll my eyes and move on because that's what everyone says about every movie. But to a certain degree, I don't think it's ever been attempted for someone to come in and like unify um, multiple franchises in that way. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the Terminator sort of like sh- franchise, like kind of shakes the ex- Etch-a-Sketch almost every time that they like start a new movie or whatever. And like the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man certainly didn't acknowledge the Tobey Maguire. Like they just pretended that didn't happen. They right? did the origin story over again. <laughs> Exactly. And so this one is like, we're not going to do that. And the success of Into the Spider-Verse, the Sony animated film from a couple years ago, really primed the pump for audiences to understand what a multiverse is and how you might have different versions of the same character um, together in one space. Well, to be fair, Joanna, the show Sliders already had done that thoroughly. (laughs) Many a Golden Gate Bridge yeah. uh, existed in Sliders. But yeah, so um, so this is like potentially an enormous moment. And I love that it's happening in this weird Disney Plus show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That like some people wrote off as this like funky little aberration when perhaps it is like the, um, to once again borrow Melissa's phrase, the inciting incident for a big story the rest of how we're going to understand marvel storytelling from now yeah i mean it's kind of a it's quite a thing to behold and there is yes something kind of insidious about it but there's also something really impressive just about how good they are at synergy (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. they are just good at 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 folding all these pieces in together and making them unified you know um and and doing it in a way that's narratively engaging but also you know does a, a fair amount of fan service, you know, because they have to tend to that core audience. And, um, it's a, it's a balancing act that, um, you know, uh, they, they keep pulling off. So. So there you go. Is there, so there's, so that's like the big, obviously the, it comes right at the end, but it's the big moment of this episode. Um, it's a reference Paul Bettany had said before the season started, I think that this was going to be their family ties episode and that it was going to be sort of like a direct reference to the Tom Hanks drunk up uncle episode, which is why like a few people were like, is this where Evan Peters shows up as the uncle? If, if he, if they're referencing the Tom Hanks uncle episode of, of family ties, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> it turns out Agnes got to play like the drunk aunt a little bit more than, yeah. than, uh, than Evan Peters got to play the drunk uncle, but uh, he's still here. Is there anything else you want to say about this sort of like family ties of it all or the balance of like the external sword investigation and then the internal sort of bubble storyline? Yeah, I have a couple things to say. Well, the first thing about the family ties of it all, um, to me, it felt a little bit more like full house step by step e because like family ties, I remember being sort of like smart sitcom, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas this was a little dopier. Um, but they definitely like the theme song they got right, you know? And I was thinking about it. I was like, why did so many of those sitcoms in the eighties have these like kind of 
wistful, serious songs <laughs> to introduce yeah. like a goofy multicam sitcom. It's just a very, very funny, weird trope that just completely disappeared. Um, so I was happy. Also, the family portrait as the center. Well, that's classic family ties. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but no, but I but I was just thinking like Growing Pains had it. Like yeah. like I feel like a bunch of shows at that time had like a family portrait that we kept revisiting. And then Modern Family kind of tweaked it, you know, um, in their own way. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I thought that was funny and and, and well observed. Um, but but you know the other other thing you mentioned about the sort of outside the bubble storyline, like I thought it was interesting that Wanda, like of her own volition, left the bubble, confronted the people, acknowledged, I know that the, what's happening behind me is not real or is real to some extent, but um, please let you know leave me be or whatever. Um, and and showed you know not much remorse at all for like controlling the minds of you know, hundreds of people. Um, and, uh, yeah, but to see her acknowledge that, uh, and just say like, I, I'm aware <laughs> of you and, uh, all this. So she's not under the same delusion that other people are, but then she goes back and is, or maybe it's beforehand, but e- either way, she talks to vision about like, I, I can't control all this, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. so I, I'm, I'm curious about, it seems like they're setting it up for, she is being controlled and there is something sinister about that, but it's kind of a maybe a devil's bargain compromise because it means she gets to have this family that she otherwise yeah. would have been denied. No, I think that's exactly right. This idea that like she's in charge in a limited capacity. Right. And that there's someone else puppeting like everything. Uh, as a and, whole. and, and, and to that end, like, and maybe you and Anthony have gotten into this, like maybe, and maybe it was someone on, in email said this, I don't remember, but like maybe the, the really sinister thing is they're trying to harvest these children, you know, who yes. would have powers and, and, and it's kind of like an incubator yes. and you can't, you know, you can't raise the kitten without the mama cat, you know, for a few, few months <laughs> at least or whatever. Right. You know? Exactly. Um, which is actually yeah. kind of very like, that's a kind of, I feel like a, a long sort of sci-fi trope of like the, the mother is this sort of, you know, incubating object that actually doesn't really matter to the evil, whatever. Yeah, there, there's like a famous um, Doctor Who storyline where like Amy Pond uh, is sort of in captivity uh, just just for the the child she's pregnant with and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's um, which is which is creepy and can feel disempowering to women if to be like reduced to like a uterus and all this sort of stuff like that. But I like your mama cat sort of analogy much better. But um, this idea that Vision in this episode asks Wanda among other things, like why are there no other children in this town? Like why are ours the only children in this yeah. town? Right. Yeah. And also, um, Agnes's interest in the boys is like creepy and something to watch. I think. Yeah. Like she shows you up know, at the dog mean? house and like she, yeah. she clearly is keeping a close eye on those kids. She sprays them and then they're grown up a bit more. Right. And then like plants. When the, yeah. And then when the dog dies um, and, and they look like they might sort of grow themselves and want to stop them like as a way to process their grief. Like my galaxy brain is like Agnes killed that dog in order to push the boys into growing more. You know what I mean? Like right. that that's that that's all part of like, I don't know what she needs them for or why, but it feels like she's invested in getting them to grow up as quickly as possible. Yeah. For whatever it is she needs. Yeah. You know? And it, 
it does provoke the question of what would you do if you found Catherine Hahn rooting around in azalea bushes in your neighborhood? <laughs> With yeah. a dead dog. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think about that often, honestly. Well, you so, should. Uh, it's important. <laughs> the eternal question. Um, all right. Anything else you want to mention? Uh, no, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with how this is developing. I think it's, it's, it keeps me guessing and I'm really enjoying, you know, the week to week. I, I'm glad that so it wasn't a, a thing that we could binge. You know, I think it makes it a little more special. Same. Um, so let us go to our conversation with Kat Dennings and then Anthony and I will be back um, to talk about why Monica Rambeau's x-rays came back blank. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show Love to See It. Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. Uh, This is for our podcast. And so some of the questions come from our listeners. Some of them come from our co-hosts and some come from me. So love it. uh, let's go for it. So all the bad ones obviously did not come from me. So so the first question uh, is from one of our listeners who wants to know when Darcy switched from political science to astrophysics and what inspired that switch for her? Well, as someone who didn't go to college, I don't know when people do things like that. But what I imagine is that uh, Jane Foster was the main inspiration for Darcy switching majors. Uh, and, you know, Dr. Eric Selvig also in her, you know, the last time we see Darcy is in Thor The Dark World. So between Jane and Eric, I think Darcy made the decision to pursue academia uh, in a different way. So now she's Dr. Darcy Lewis. Other than the uh, the doctorate, what else, uh, you know, sort of in your view has changed about Darcy since we last saw her? Well, you know, I wanted to make sure she was the same person, uh, but I really liked the idea of approaching it almost as a whole new role because so much has changed. And even though we haven't seen her, we can imagine so many things have gone down in her life. So it's been, I don't know, eight years, something like that since last time. So she's grown up a lot and uh, she's now an expert. She's now a grown up. I said, just said that, but you know, it's been a long day. Uh, but I don't know. I really enjoyed playing that. You know, you don't usually get to pay off a character uh, as an actor. That many years later, especially. Yeah. yeah, it's, um, Darcy was always, it seemed to me always like a pretty confident person. Sort of how else does that maturity manifest in this like new approach you're taking to the role? Well, I remember being extremely confident when I was a young Younger, right. you know how confident you are when you're 20 and then you become 34 and you're like I don't know anything uh I think that's part of growing up is realizing you don't know what you're talking about so I've certainly infused her with a little bit of my own life experience uh and my dad is actually a scientist so there was a little bit of like personal pride in uh, even just pretending to be one in a show 
when you get the call from Marvel to say, like, can you come back? Can you do Darcy again? Are you yes, all in, no matter what the circumstance? Or did you want to know more about what the project was when you? I was, I didn't, I mean, I cared, of course, but it was <laughs> yes, immediately. When you get a call from Marvel, you you just say yes. It doesn't matter what they want you to do. Uh, pretty much, there's nothing I w- wouldn't do for them. So, so yeah. I was thrilled. And then I figured, and then I found it, it was this, and I was almost confused because, Darcy's never had any interaction with anyone in WandaVision at all. So it was a really unexpected uh, place for her to go. Is there, if she were to pop up in another sort of side Avengers story, is there another one that you've always sort of wanted to see her in? Well, I remember reading a few fun like tumblr posts about darcy and loki and i think i kind of i kind of want to give those like three people what they want because i think that would be fun um it, it only takes three to start uh internet it's, rumor. It's so true yeah it's true <laughs> um and when you found out that uh that this was a show that's gonna be like hopping through sitcom universes was there a sitcom era that you were most excited to sort of like even be tangentially touching in all of this well it certainly didn't touch it but uh the 50s sitcom part of the show uh for me just just as a fan of the 50s like aesthetic you know i was just so excited about that you know uh, lizzie elizabeth olsen was incredible she's incredible in everything but i really loved watching her do all of that stuff uh it's fun to see these these actors kind of branching out because you know the avengers stuff is very serious and and uh you know we all know what that was watch the movies but so it's very cool to see these actors doing something completely different and paul bettany is uh, one of the funniest people i've ever met and he he get you know you see it you see a little bit of paul finally like come through in these so it's kind of it's kind of joyful I loved those first few episodes where we're just like in the sitcom bubble entirely. But yeah. I know I know a lot of Marvel fans were excited to see in episode four something that felt a little bit more familiar to them as well. I'm curious for you, having worked on Marvel films and then this being Marvel television, from like a almost a production value perspective, does it feel any different? It's, it, you know, the production value is so high on a show yeah. like this. Does it feel the same as working on a Marvel film? Yeah, it does. But the way that you shoot a series is inherently different than how you shoot a movie because there are just a few more moving parts in terms of like, oh, this location, you know, or this or the weather or this, you know, there's always something kind of shifting around. So with with the films, I feel like, although I remember the first Thor movie, we had to keep pushing a major sequence because the, the, the mountains in the distance had snow on them some days and not on other days. So mm-hmm. that was that's kind of a similar thing, but yeah. So there were a few more moving parts on this and sometimes we would hop stages and do something, you know, and then go back and do something else. So, but as you said, the production value is incredibly high and just the highest standard of everything. So it's as an actor, as someone who's used to being in a iPhone size trailer, like, you know, eating a marshmallow, uh, (laughs) it's a joy. It's wonderful. It's, it's as good as it gets. Um, I, I was listening to that, um, podcast interview you did with Whitney Cummings, uh, I think last year where you were talking about, um, you got to set, there was a day when you had Darcy had to run through the field. You got to set and there was no one listed under stunts and you were like, Oh, it's me. 
I'll be running. Well, um, I didn't say it was this project. Oh, okay. It was a different so project. It could have been okay. something else. Okay. But yeah, is there, is, um, like, can we look forward to Action Darcy uh, in this show? Uh, I can't say, but I will say that you definitely see Darcy in situations that she's never been in before. There's, there's a lot more. This is, this is the first appearance. So there's, there's so much more uh, in the pipe. That's the word. Yeah. Coming down the pipe or coming down the pike. One of those. Um, All right. A a beautiful, fair, vague tease. I love that. Um, uh, Okay. So one thing, one thing about Darcy that, that uh, fans have always, I think, loved about her is this idea of her as an audience proxy, right? Like Mm. she meets Thor, her reaction to Thor is probably what our reaction to Thor would be. Um, You get to do this even more explicitly in this. You're literally the audience to this sort of sitcom that you're watching. Um, does that change the way you approach a character when you know that she's sort of doing that work uh, for the audience? No, um, only because uh, she wouldn't know that. So there's almost the me- there's the meta thing, and then there's like too much of it. So you know, you I still have to kind of be somewhat in the dark because she doesn't know just how much of an audience she's representing. So it's actually right. a key thing because. I didn't exactly put that together until I watched it because of course I knew what was going on, but I was, I was approaching it as like, Oh, she's, she's investigating this strange anomaly. So she's now involved in watching it, but I didn't, I didn't quite put that puzzle together. Cause I, you know, the, I'm not a real scientist, <laughs> uh, but it's definitely a really fun payoff to watch and I was like oh that's what I'm doing you know now I'm I'm us yeah um yeah so that's really fun I love that um and I'm wondering um the uh if you if you were to get to go inside the bubble uh if Darcy got to do that um what I mean, like, obviously, we've already done the 50s. Is there a sitcom? And I know you've obviously worked on sitcoms, but is there a sitcom that you would love to see Darcy in Inside the Bubble? Oh, my God. Uh, well, they, I mean, it's an innocent enough question, but I feel like I can't answer it anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I would, but I would like to. Uh, one of my favorite, you know, I was sort of soliciting our listeners to see what they wanted to ask you. And one of my favorite responses I heard from someone who had never watched any Marvel uh, is when they're watching this show, you know, they felt like they needed a lot of background, a lot of extra info and a lot of other characters. But when your character showed up, they were like, I immediately like felt connected to this person. I knew who they were. It just like, um, it felt so comfortable. And I was just wondering sort of, what you think, I mean, we've already talked about that sort of audience proxy aspect of Darcy, but what you think it is about her that audiences connect to so well? Well, that's a really sweet, that's a really sweet thing for them to say. Um, I can only imagine it's because, you know, the beginning of the first three episodes of WandaVision, you're kind of thrust into a foreign land, right? You don't know what's going on. And I, that's really fun. We don't really get that nowadays because usually our TV is all there. You can just binge a show, you know, in a day or two or whatever. Right. If you're me, one day. Um, <laughs> you're, forced for, you're forced to wait for answers. So I think it, when I show up, 
maybe it's my face. I don't know. Uh, but people feel like, you know, okay, she's here to solve the mystery, but, but I'm also coming in literally from the real world. So I think, I think it was planned for this bus carrying a real person who's going to solve the mystery from the real world into this to kind of help guide the way um, initially. And also Jimmy Woo provides that a bit uh, as well. And then once we team up, it's, it's uh, kind of a, a, a fun little partnership. I wanted to ask you something that I asked um, Elizabeth Olson when I talked to her, which was this story about Wanda, obviously in this episode, episode four um, that we just all watched, uh, we find out that like, whatever's going on here, we don't know fully what's going on, but whatever's going on is tied to something going on with Wanda. And she's obviously in a lot of emotional distress. Mm -hmm. Some of the stories about Wanda in emotional distress in the comic books have, you know, written decades in the past written often by men have struck people as not the best handling of this idea mm. of like uh, a woman in distress. And I was talking to Elizabeth Olsen about how this show run by a woman, um, you know, staffed with all these great women was interested in avoiding sort of this like hysterical female uh, right. trope. And I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Well, that's a really good point. I, I'm not as familiar with uh, Wanda's arc in the comics, like you're saying. I, I I probably should have read more of them, but <laughs> but you're right. Of course, you know this this is an age old issue, which is the male gaze on like you know what women feel and think, and they're always wrong. So yeah, we had an amazing art writer Jack Schaefer, our executive producer, just wonderful genius, and um, involved so involved in every step of it, and. Uh, always cognizant of, of go, making sure that doesn't happen. You know, she, I really felt, even though, you know, I'm a scientist and I'm all this, I really felt like the whole Darcy was being considered and she does it with Monica and, and, and with uh, Wanda as well. And, and, you know, a lot of the people that you see through the show, I mean, there's so much payoff and that's the thing. It's like, we're only on episode four. There's, right. there's, so, there's so much more still to come. So that thread is, is very important. And they were certainly, paying a lot of attention to that. And, uh, you know, even my like little moment where he's like Miss Lewis and I'm like, Dr. Lewis, like, you know, even something that seems very small is actually really big, especially we could talk about women in the workplace forever, but uh, you know, it's those moments that are, that are good to see. It's, it's a good move. So my last question for you is about this character poster of you that was released today that, you know, everyone is sort of pouring <laughs> over with their magnifying glass. Um, given that, you know, this is a, a story about, you know, someone named Scarlet Witch that we're in the realm of witchcraft. What are we to make of the fact that there's like this weird image of that looks like you're almost having a, a, a scarlet letter, scarlet letters on your chest? Mm. What should we make of that? Yeah, well, obviously it's interesting. Uh, it's mysterious, and you will find out. Uh, what an answer! <laughs> the best you could do. I understand completely. All right, that's it for me. Thank you so much, Kat. I appreciate Thank it you so much. Yeah, yeah. Have a good day. You too. All right, so here we are, part three. Uh, Anthony and I are going to go, uh, you know, a little, a little deeper on the comic lore side of things. Uh, Anthony, I want to start by talking about the appearance of a new character. Really excited. Um, it's obviously Sparky the dog. Um, Sparky. <laughs> <laughs> he was cute. He's very cute. R.I.P. Sparky. Sparky, uh, 
I want to talk about animals. I'm still clinging to my animal theory, but like uh, Sparky is from the Vision comic book. Sparky is the name of the family dog in the Vision comic book by Tom King that we've talked about a couple mm-hmm. times. And uh, Sparky also meets a, a, a his doom uh, in, in that book as well. Um, so so Sparky is an unlucky pup, but um, but he's also not a real dog, right? Well, I mean, what is real? Do you know? But um, yeah. but how do you feel like Sparky does or does not fit into this like idea you're talking before about whether or not these animals that we keep seeing uh, in every episode are like the manifestation of a, a devil character called Mephisto or something else? There is a central animal in every episode, sitcom episode we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is I feel like the pet – the, uh, the Sparky fits the same role in this episode that like pets do kind of in general with a family. You know, when you have kids is like kids learn about death from their pet, from, you know, their dog, their cat, their goldfish. Um, you know, I like think of the goldfish in poltergeist, right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it's like, it's, it's how you face, the unfaceable and then you you start to think about as a kid like well you know will i die will my parents die will my grandparents die and and some kids of course face actual human loss much sooner but um it's interesting that like sparky uh literally you know not to lean into the pun but sparks the the idea in wanda's mind about her brother and um and vision being dead and vision wanting to confront the truth even if it's a painful truth. So, you know, the dog kind of gets uh, gets people going. I mean, it's a very odd death, right? Like he just he dies from eating azalea leaves. Like I didn't know that was something dogs like to do. <laughs> so, just seemed a little peculiar, but uh yeah, I I mean like what I recall about the the dog in the comics was a vision created it, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like a it was like him. It was like a synthesoid, which is a word I love, which Marvel stayed away from for a long time. I remember you know, being in interviews like with uh Kevin Feige and uh Joss Whedon and saying like, Oh yeah, so he's gonna be a synthesoid and they're like, eh, you know, like that's a little I think that word just scared them away because it was yeah. so geeky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like synthesoid, you know, you push up your yeah, your yeah. horn rimmed glasses <laughs> and uh <laughs> uh but like it um uh it's clear like you say there's there's always an animal in the mix on each one of these episodes, the stork, uh the lobster, um the bunny, and now the puppy. Yeah. What do you think's up? So something yeah, okay, so speaking of, like, deeply nerdy things that, like, as soon as you say it, people are like, why am I listening to this podcast? Um, what do you know about the Wondagore Everbloom? Um, <laughs> is this where I pretend? <laughs> oh, wait, wait, give me a sec. Uh, that's a great question, Googles furiously. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so, so the, so the, let me, Fill let me, me in, fill me in. Put, yeah. Let me put you out of your music. So the Wondagore Everbloom um, is this plant that uh, exists in the Vision comics that is like grown in the shadow of the mountain of the whatever. And it has this like very interesting property in that um, you – I'm pretty sure it's like 
you have to eat it and then something else, a creature has to eat it. And then that creature has to die. And then you have to eat that creature. And once you've consumed, I know this is creepy. And once you've consumed it twice, um, then you can see the future. <laughs> uh, this is the thing that happens in the vision comics. And so what's interesting in the vision comics is that Agatha, the character of Agatha Harkness, who we believe is Agnes, uh, Catherine Hahn's character in this show, has a familiar uh, named Ebony, a black cat who can shapeshift. And what Agatha does in that comics is she has her cat, her familiar, eat the leaves and then she eats her cat so that she can see the future. Um, I know, all very gruesome, but like... This dog died eating yeah. <laughs> Zillia leaves. And I was like, uh, interesting. And like, it made me start to think, like, I still feel like the animal, the animals in every episode are significant, but like, maybe this animal is just like, uh, Agnes is familiar and it just takes a different shape in every good, episode. Good catch. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely thought that leaf eating was a strange way to go because, you know, yeah, I, I I've grown Azaleas outside and I don't, ever encounter like a dog coming in like wolfing down the leaves and dying so just seems strange <laughs> yeah. and i think you're onto something that might be a little much like the killing an animal and eating yeah. its corpse like for disney plus I, I think that's a bit but uh, i'm gonna uh i'm gonna definitely points to you for uh for catching that one i mean we'll see uh, it just it, it sort of put me on the track of like is this actually just her familiar more so than like, there are definitely leaves here where you can see the future. Um, but it felt like maybe a reference to that perhaps, or, or, you know, sometimes a, a drone is just a drone, but I definitely think there's something very suspicious about Agnes being the one to like, we only have her word for it, that that's how the dog died. Right. And like Richard and I talked about this a little bit, but like in, in the first half, but it seems like Agnes is very invested in growing those kids like she spritzed them with something and then they grew and then it seemed like this dog thing was her pushing them to grow some more so if she's you know as we've discussed before uh -huh. if she's sort of for her reason for her ends or someone else's incubating these children and trying to get them to grow to maturity the dog is all part of that huh, Do you yeah. know? so then also didn't she bring over a plant in like the first episode wasn't yes. that like like yes. ch when she says charmed and like bring brings them a, like a welcome gift isn't yes. she bring them a plant mm -hmm. she's she's yeah. she's always bringing and gifts over so what is you know like the dog house hmm. hmm yeah and and i mean what's interesting is uh in the vision comics agatha had given wanda and vision that Wendigore Everbloom <laughs> as a wedding, like upon the occasion of their wedding as a gift to them. So, you know, it's all, I, I'd keep my eye on any gift from, uh, from Agnes, Agatha, that's for sure. Um, whatever it may mean. Yes. So, we'll Got it. All right. Um, <laughs> I want to talk to you uh, before we get to like all the Evan Peters stuff, which we definitely will talk about some more. I want to talk to you about what's going on with yeah. Monica. Monica Rambo. What's 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 your sense of what's happening right now? Okay, so the thing that jumps out at me the most, and uh, I'm not sure if this is where you're going, but like she's she's getting like a physical, right? And it's make sure she's a okay mm -hmm. after going into the hex. I said hex. Mm -hmm. It's making it. We're making it work. You did. It's, it's uh. catching on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, 
And then she was like, uh, the technician was like, actually, we're going to have to retake these because they were just all blown out, right? Like the light, it was just like a blast mm-hmm. of light. And that, I do not think that was accidental. There's no fat on these episodes. So like that was, again, something we were supposed Correct. to notice. Um, and we learned that uh, Wanda morphs whatever she, whatever you bring into her universe to fit the time and space, that it's real. It's not just like a, a mirage. Uh, so uh, Monica's mm-hmm. bulletproof vest became like morphed into her like seventies disco outfit or what have you. So <laughs> it's uh, it's now bulletproof, which she sh- proves by sh- shooting a gun in the complex, which I thought was really uh, <laughs> irresponsible. <laughs> to, you know, very very extra. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I just pictured like somebody behind in the cubicle at, uh, beyond that just being like, oh! <laughs> so, um, but the. Uh, what does that do to the human body, right? And and if you yeah. pass through into the hex, like so far, sh- well, I guess there's the beekeeper guy. We haven't heard about what happened to him, um, and we never really met him. I mean, he so could, maybe, maybe I'm worried that he got blipped. But like, yeah, what the question is? What does going, you know, uh, Darcy in episode four spent a lot of time talking about, like the like m- I don't know if she called it like microwave energy, like the massive amount of energy on this bubble on the hex, right? And Monica not only goes through it in the first place, she goes, she gets shooting back out it in the second place. And um, if that's not an inciting incident for a superhero, I don't know what is. And something like we know, right, is that Monica Rambeau in the comics uh, is a superhero called mm-hmm. Photon. And um, if you look at the character poster that they re- the character poster that they're releasing for WandaVision are so fascinating. They're all the same in terms of you have the character standing behind a little pile of monitors and you see different images on each monitor and it gives you like a little different piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. If you look at Monica Rambeau's character poster, um one of the the monitor that's sort of right in front of like where her hip is, you see something that looks to me like it could be the hip of a photon costume. So if we saw her fully in costume before the end of uh, this series, there's only a few more episodes to go. That would be wild. But like this, I think we just saw the creation of a new superhero. Um, you I'm know, with, in this moment, I'm with you. Sure. You know, in comics lore, Monica Rambeau yeah. becomes um. Captain Marvel and a lot of people have been talking about ever since she appeared as like a little girl in Captain Marvel, the movie, like eventually she's going to grow up and take on the mantle of Captain Marvel. And that's a common thing in com in Marvel and comics in general is different characters take on the role of like the iconic superhero, you know, everything from Peter Parker handing off or, you know, Spider-Man becoming uh, Miles Morales or, um, um, you know, uh, uh, Falcon becoming the Captain America. Like, like the, they sometimes just, I think the writers switch it up. Um, but Monica has her own identity too. Like, and I think establishes herself as Photon in the comics. Um, similarly, like cosmic power kind of superhero. And yeah, I think this is a great way to introduce that. And, and I think, you know, we already have like a current Captain Marvel for a while. And I think they'll, they'll keep, They'll stick with that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for a little for a little bit. So this gives Monica a chance to power up on her own and be her own thing. I dig it. 
Um, the the other thing we should note about Monica in this episode is that it it seems to me my interpretation of of her reaction to mention of Carol uh, is that she is ticked off at her mom's best friend, uh, like who's who is like almost like another mom to her. Um, I have my theories as to why that might be, but did you did you? Pick up on that? Did that that ping? Definitely was like an enigmatic response, right? It wasn't like, oh yeah, good old Mm -hmm. Captain Marvel. Like, it was like, "Mm, yeah. (laughs) So, what's your theory? Is there a little bit of like you left us? That's Hmm. what I think. Like, so and to circle back to Photon really quickly. Photon, we've seen a couple times was her mom's call sign was Monica's mm-hmm. mom's call sign as a pilot, and we we've seen that plaque a couple times at Sword Headquarters where it's like Maria Photon yeah. Rumbo and stuff like that. So, um, you know, she could just take on her mom's name, and that could be her superhero moniker. Um, I yeah, that's my sense is that she's like, you left us, mom. Mom got cancer and died, and you left us and never came back. Um. Um, and uh, and I believe uh, it has been announced that Tiana Paris is in Captain Marvel 2, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I think, shooting right now. So we might see some of that drama play out there. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Do we know when Captain uh, Marvel 2 is uh, set? What the timeline is like? Uh, we don't. But if, but if Tiana Paris is in it, then now-ish, not in a prequel way, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I would expect. But like... Um, you never know. They, you know, how they anymore the way they're playing with timeline. So that's why I kind of wondered. Is like, what, it's know, true. How much it's is true. she in it? Is it a framing, framing device? Could be anything. <laughs> you know, we just don't know. Anyway, I just wasn't sure about that. But uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Here's another thing. This is a little bit of a side tangent. You and I yeah. are sitting here talking about Monica Rambo. Emphasis on the bow on the show. They call her Rambo. <laughs> like. Oh, Isn't that? Am true. I the only one who's a little distracted whenever they're like Captain Rambo is going to be presenting to us, and I'm just like, I'm your worst nightmare. Like I just keep, can't stop thinking of Sylvester Stallone. It's Rambo. Like they, I feel like they just need a little more emphasis on the bow. <laughs> Put more New Orleans a little on bit, it, right? On, I mean, it together. just feels, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Captain Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> um the but but i do want to stay with sorry with, conversation uh, stopper <laughs> no, no 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 it brings it brings me it brings me to the next thing i want to talk about which is what's going on with sword so i think you're the one who pointed out last week that we might want to like keep our eye on the current director of sword um uh, his, his name is hey tyler hayward i think is right um and um like there's something maybe off about him. Uh, there's a couple options here. Like, uh, is he a scroll? We've seen scrolls. If you watch the first Captain Marvel movie, scroll scrolls or shapeshifting aliens who might like to insinuate themselves in the, in the higher halls of power in certain organizations in order to control things. Um, is he Hydra? Hydra also likes to do that. You know, there's no shortage of people who like to infiltrate uh, top positions at uh, at various organizations in the Marvel uh, universe, right? Um, but what we learned in this episode is that, number one, Vision did not want to become a weapon. Mm-hmm. But number two, Sword had pieces of vision in a lab for five years after his death and seemed to be experimenting on him. Um, Director Hayward sort of positions this as Wanda like going, you know, bananas and, and 
you know, boosting his body and she's like the villain she's here. she's defying like, his living know, will, is what, she, what he said. Yeah. But, like, if he was already experimenting on Vision to try to create a weapon, then she is, you know, in a sense, saving Vision's body from uh, something that he didn't want to have happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, he's he's clear. I think he's clearly, I don't know if he's the big bad, but he's a bad guy on this show, right? No. He's become a yeah. real jerk. And uh, he's murderous when he doesn't need to be. He's rude. It, yeah, he's escalating yeah, things. He's not, not cool. Yeah. yeah, and it seems like he's just pushing his own agenda. It, like uh, to me, if I if I think of it as this way of like his primary motivation is to get Vision's body back so he can keep doing the like artificial intelligence work that he was doing with yeah. that. That helps on uh, uh, you know that helps underline why he's so invested in just like taking Wanda off the board and taking her off a board off the board in a way where she's not even allowed to like tell her side of the story. Yes. He doesn't want her questioned. And, um, that's pretty clear. Like take the shot. Like what? She's just standing there, dude. Like that was, and, and okay, here's another moment where, uh, Monica's like trying to talk to her. She's like, can you hear me? And then we cut to, to Wanda and there's no audio, Right. So I don't even think the drone was broadcasting to her. Like they set her up right. in that way. She thinks she's flying in to talk to her and they're actually flying in to kill her. Am I, am I right? I don't know. Exactly. You can tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong I think about you're right. that. Like if I just misinterpreted it. But like no, it no. seemed like it was think, like they I didn't think... even – they didn't want her addressing Wanda. And so there wasn't the capability. For yeah. Her. Don't don't talk to her. We, you know, this is a kill mission only sort of thing. Um, and, and Wanda's – anger at him like she seemed to know who he was and you know when she has everyone aim their guns at him like you know she might be angry at whatever it was he was planning to do with vision do you know so that i mean that maybe that's reaching but like i think whenever we see surveillance video and some like guy is telling me what i'm looking at i'm like i would like to see it from a different angle please (laughs) i would like the full story please there's also this moment this fun little cutaway moment where uh jimmy woo and darcy lewis are talking about hayward as he's briefing Mm. and they do a little like pg cutaway from uh darcy calling him a Mm -hmm. dick but they cut back on terrorist. the word terrorist. Yeah. yeah. That was a clever cut. So, mm-hmm. so keep your eye on that dude. Not not good news uh, is, I think, what's pretty clear. Um, and then let's see oh, what else. Can, oh, but, oh, yeah. Let's talk about the aerospace Oh, I was just going to say. Right? Before we, yeah, I was going to. Yeah. Uh, we're right on the same page here. I was going to say, like, can we talk about okay, what great. Sword's up to? Because at the beginning, they're walking down the hall when... Monica's like, I'm back from being blipped. What's up? What? Yeah. I'm kind of on hiatus or whatever they call it. Like you're sort of on, like you're grounded or what have you. Um, and, right. right. Uh, they're, but they're talking about like astronaut training, and there's clearly like a lot of engineering going on there. So, and that brings us to, hey, uh, oh, this is after they test the clothes, right? And they determine like that that it's changing what is it she says we need to summon an aeros i have a friend like we'll get an aerospace engineer but what's the what was it that they were needed that person for again i thought it was about sort of trying to figure out how to permeate oh, yeah, the yeah. bubble in a way oh yeah they were gonna they build were like, like, a, like build a we need like this you know 10 feet of lead or whatever on wheels. Like, yeah to get it yeah. right yeah so yeah take it away joe <laughs> 
No, I mean, like, what? what's your, th- like, I mean, I think, as you said, there's no fat on the mm-hmm. show. So if Monica's like, I've got an aerospace engineer friend, a million nerdy Marvel people are pricking up their ears. What do you think? What's your theory as to whom that might be? I think it's going to be somebody new, to, at least to Marvel Cinema. It'll be, maybe, it'd be somebody we recognize, but I think somebody we know from comics, but somebody who hasn't perhaps been in the MCU yet. A lot of folks automatically went to Rhodey, you know, War Machine, Don Cheadle's character. He's definitely got, like, engineering expertise, but he's a pilot, you know? That's his main mm. area of expertise. So I'm like, maybe him. Like, if Tony Stark were still alive, I would say Tony Stark. He's definitely an engineer, definitely an aerospace guy. The most famous engineer in Marvel lore is uh, Doctor Doom and Reed Richards, who are, of course, rivals in the right. Fantastic Four. And then and my mind also right. went to Letitia Wright's character, Shuri. Although, you know, she's a brilliant scientist, engineer, uh, head of Wakanda's science division. But, you know, I don't know that that Shuri would be bothering much with S.W.O.R.D., you know, given that Wakanda likes to keep to itself and do its own thing. So, you know, those are some of the possibilities. What do you think? Uh, so a couple things. So so the the first reaction I saw from people is like, oh, it's definitely Reed Richards, which feels mm-hmm. a little premature because though Marvel has announced that they are going to be doing fanta- – like, and we're doing Fantastic Four was sort of the end of Kevin Feige's presentation to the Disney investors mm-hmm. last year. So they're doing Fantastic Four. There's strong rumors that like they're out to John Krasinski and Emily Blunt – uh, John Krasinski to take on the role of Reed Richards. That's a really fun idea because both Krasinski and Blunt, uh, you know, were in the running to play Captain America and Black Widow respectively once upon a time. Um, and so that's like a really fun casting rumor for Fantastic Four, but it still feels so early to bring in a Reed Richards given like how, how far out that plan is, right? So it does feel early, but they did announce, um, the director for that, um, it's John, John Watts. Uh, John Watts, right? John Watts yeah, yeah, from yeah. Uh, Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, I but know. I have another piece of maybe, information though, maybe. which is okay. Uh, someone noted that on the uh, <laughs> this is one of my favorite when when you have like a mystery theory show, fans go all out, and here's a, one of my favorite things uh, that they do sometimes. Uh, Foreign uh, or, or, or non-English uh, subtitles or dubbing. Oh, uh, yes. Aerospace mm-hmm. engineer is gendered and it's gendered female. So a female aerospace engineer. You said Letitia Wright. I'm posed to you uh, Riri Williams, Ironheart. <gasps> oh. So you said, okay. So you said if Tony Stark was still to- alive, Tony Stark. Riri uh, Williams, who has been cast, uh, Dominique Thorne, is going to be playing Riri Williams. They're doing an Ironheart TV show. Do you want to tell the folks who who Ironheart is? Oh, yes. Well, I mean, who the character is uh, or the casting. Well, I just, I mean, basically, right, this is like a young woman uh, who takes on the, the Iron Man sort of mantle 
in the comics um, as Iron Heart, and she's like a preternaturally talented scientist, right? Yeah, she's a young woman who, as you say, she 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 takes on. The, we talked about switching the mantles, right? Like different characters take on like the title of a famous superhero, and you know she takes on. Basically, the I guess you would say like sort of the powers of Iron Man, but she calls herself Iron Heart, and it's clearly like a different uh, outfit and all that, and she's a different personality. But she's a very like I love that character, and she's relatively new. Like she's a just the last few years yeah. been introduced, and uh, you know, uh, I think you hit on it. Um, I mean, I, I, I some, and, one of our listeners actually is the one who suggested it to me. So I don't want to be, I don't want to take any credit. Uh, that, that was, uh, some information from a listener, but I love, I was like a fully on the Reed Richards train. And so someone was like, Riri Williams. I was like, Ooh, I like it better. <laughs> um, the other interesting thing is, I mean, they have cast someone as Riri Williams. They announced it as part of that Disney massive investor call where they revealed all these upcoming projects. So you have somebody in the role and that is actress Dominique Thorne. So why announce that early? Marvel doesn't like to announce things until they have a reason to. And I think, yeah, if we could get um, this brilliant aerospace engineer to turn up and it's, uh, it's Ironheart, it's, it's Riri Williams, then, uh, then we're set. We're off to the races. And they have, they have built in a little preview of uh, the Ironheart series that they're planning to develop. I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, like I, I keep saying, we're going to talk about Evan Peters and Quicksilver, but I think we have <laughs> underestimated how linked all of these properties are going to be. Because in this episode alone, we have a launching off for some Captain Marvel 2 stuff, right? With whatever mm-hmm. is happening with Monica and Carol. And then if Riri shows up, that's an Ironheart offshoot. You know, I just think that there's options for oh, I mean, I've, I just don't envy <laughs> Kevin Feige and everyone at Marvel trying to keep all these, like, um, plates spinning. But, you know, that seems to be the, what, the challenge that they have set themselves. So here we go. Um, the last thing, science-based thing that I want to talk about, I think, um, is this idea, so they talk in this episode about like, okay, so the Mind Stone, as we've mentioned, powers Wanda and it powers Vision. Like they both, they had this like twin Mind Stone powering. He is, she's puppeting his corpse around Westview, it would appear. Um, and, and Darcy and was sort of wondering like, how is he going without the Mind Stone? Like, how is that happening? And we talked about, like, you know, the work that Shuri might have done uh, in Infinity War to try to mm-hmm. start that. Sorry, you, you had a, an intake of breath as if there was something you wanted to say about that. Yeah, I was just going to say, if Shuri, that was Shuri's task in in, in uh, Infinity War. It was like, let's rewire right. um, Vision so that we can destroy the stone. And then he won't be able to, you know, then Thanos won't be able to do his thing. So, uh, but yeah. Something I've been thinking about is that... Um, you know, Kevin Feige, when he talked to us, he said, well, you know, when we were picking these various characters to populate the world, Jimmy Woo, Darcy Lewis, we knew we needed a scientist. And we were like, oh, we've got Darcy. I mean, Darcy was a political. Uh, I talked to Kat Dennings about this in the interview that's in this week's episode. <laughs> she was a she's a political scientist. Now she's got a doctorate uh, in other science. But like, is there a world in which Darcy um, like helps finish the job that Shuri started and gives vision a new life. Um, not dependent on Wanda's magic to sort of keep him going. 
it's, anything's possible. That's a t- Shuri is a tough act to follow. True, so you true. Know? Very true. She's um. <laughs> what did she's, uh? She's I, pretty I, high I, intellect there, but maybe maybe they, you know if she teams up with Riri and they could put their heads together, I'm sure uh, anything is possible in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I do think that we are going to leave this with some with some closure or resurrection for vision, you know, the problem with vision, and this was alluded to a little bit in this episode, uh, is also the problem with Scarlet, Witch. which I thought it was interesting. There was that beat where they're like, didn't she have an interesting, like colorful nickname? <laughs> and, and like, no, I, f- did they never mention the name Scarlet, Witch? yeah. Any- so I did, I did want to talk about that. Actually, I was going back. This, this is why before we started recording, I was asking you if you mm-hmm. remembered Comic-Con 2019 a million years ago, but they said something mm-hmm. on, um, on stage, um, at Comic-Con about like, we'll finally see why Wanda is called like, she basically like she'll finally become, scarlet witch so i kind of feel like you know we've talked about this about this idea of like wanda having two kinds of powers there's like the the infinity stone power but there's also sort of like some the witchier power let me let me go look go yeah let me go off on a quick Mm -hmm. random tangent which is sort of connected which is that there's a theory that i like that Maybe Wanda sacrifices, if she can in some way, her infinity, whatever infinity stone power she has to keep Vision alive. You know, I don't know how that would work, but let's say she does. I don't think that leaves her without powers. I just think that leaves her significantly powered down. That she's still like witchy and powerful, but not reality shakingly powerful. She's always been too powerful. Vision's always been too powerful, right? For the Marvel universe. So I like thing. this idea. We, yeah. Go Sorry. Ahead. No, Go no. Ahead. no, no, no. Okay. Well, I, I like the I, I like the idea that like if if Vision and Wanda can come out of this, both still alive but less powerful versions of themselves, and then they can continue to exist in the Marvel universe. And so like we know that Scar that that Wanda is going to be in Doctor Strange too, and there's like. kind of two ways that that could happen one she could end this series as the big bad the scary villainous scarlet witch you took my suburbs from me i'm gonna kill everyone sort of thing and Mm -hmm. she dr strange has to battle her or she could walk out of this powered down somewhat and perhaps she has to learn from dr strange how to master these other powers that she has. Does that make any sense? It makes a ton of sense. And that was what I was going to add earlier is, you know, the trouble with them, the trouble in quotes is they're so powerful that they end any threat. And I think they even allude to that. Like, oh yeah, Wanda could have taken out Thanos just like, uh, um, uh, Captain Marvel. That's where the Captain Marvel name drop comes in. And, the thing is, you don't want heroes that are too powerful because that you need you need adversity in the story, right? So you need them to be like you know the underdog at some point. So I think that if they can emerge uh, intact, right, like the uh, Vision is back and alive, but not maybe like quite as miraculous as he originated, and Wanda also 
uh, sees some sort of diminishment of her powers. Like that just makes it easier for them to exist in the story. It's kind of like cell phones and time travel yeah. in narratives. Mm-hmm. Like, like the time travel device always has to get broken because otherwise you're just like, oh, there's a problem. You know, it's like vanilla ice. If you got a problem, I'll solve it. Just <laughs> let's revolve, you know, rewind it instead of revolve it. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> like, so you have to have the, you know, you have to have Marty McFly like not have plutonium for his, uh, for uh, for the DeLorean because otherwise the story ends and like in horror movies or what have you like well you could just call for help with your cell phone so you always have to like set it in the 80s when there were no cell phones or have the cell phone break or where we're uh, don't have a signal here you know what I mean so it's like you've got to have the you've got to take the forever signal forever on the from- X-Files <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly right right that forever was, like, on the, the x-files their cell phones were breaking yeah 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 <laughs> it, you know so i think you've got to like break the cell phone of the vision and wanda and uh and yeah and, and and you know and that's why that's why maybe the way they handle that with captain marvel is that's the thing is that she's not here so she can't use her phenomenal cosmic powers to uh, solve every <laughs> problem <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's my, that was the big problem with Captain Marvel is like, we wanted, they wanted to do this 90s movie, and that's really fun. But how do you explain why Captain Marvel didn't like, solve every problem in the previous Marvel movies we saw with a flick of her wrist? You know, she's so powerful. And the answer was, let's just send her to space for a few decades um, until we really need her, and then we'll bring her back. Um, and the same is yeah. true of like Wanda and Vision. We've been talking about this for years the way in which they've had to sort of like sideline them or whatever ever since, um, you know, Joss put them in Ultron, I think not really thinking through what that would do, you know, especially for something like Civil War where you're trying to have a superhero matchup and you've got players like Vision and Wanda on the board. And so like what you have to do is sort of like give them internal drama where they're focused on fighting each other so like let the gods fight over there and we mere superhero mortals will fight over here um so if if a prompt of wandavision i feel here's what i think here's what i think the way that marvel thinks about these things and they're so smart and these plan these things way out in advance but they're like we have a few problems that we need to solve we need to introduce the multiverse we need to power Wanda and Vision down. We need to do like various things. And I feel like that's what we're watching happen in WandaVision. You know? How do we solve a problem like Wanda Maximoff? We make her How do you powerful. solve a problem mm-hmm. like Wanda Maximoff? <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh oh. We're going to have to yeah. pay for that. <laughs> uh, one last one last detail before we go into the bubble, which is uh, we we got to look at Darcy's um, Darcy's character poster, and I sent this to you, <laughs> Anthony, and I was like, please help me understand this. As I mentioned with Monica's yeah. character poster, we see around her hip section something that looks like maybe a photon superhero costume. With Darcy, we see in uh like in her shoulder sort of you know sternum region uh a, a costume that does not look modern in any way uh or at least looks costumey uh there's these two red sort of s insignias on something that could be like a sweater could be something older um you know there's a fun theory that like cat dennings you don't hire cat dennings in randall park for a a show about sitcoms two sitcom actors for a show about sitcoms if you're not going to send them into the bubble so i like this idea of like the bubble either expanding we saw its walls sort of do some stuff in this episode the bubble either expanding and swallowing sword 
so we could get like <laughs> a sitcom mm-hmm. version of sword uh or them uh permeating the bubble but like Kat Dennings in 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 our interview in this episode very diplomatically refused to to answer my question about her costume um but did say like we've only just sort of begun to see what's going to happen uh for her character so do you have I- any any thoughts or feelings or theories about that? I tried very hard to figure out what those symbols are. And I'm searching like, you know, uh, alchemy symbols and ancient runes and old Led Zeppelin albums, like all of the mystical texts. And like, <laughs> I just couldn't place it. Uh, it's, it's, there's symmetry there. You and I eventually came to like a understanding. Maybe it's like a, maybe it's like a, Scarlet Letter kind of thing. That's a, you know the Nathaniel Hawthorne story set back in the uh, Puritan times. So we got a little bit of potential witchcraft there uh, that could could thread in. But yeah, otherwise maybe it's just a symbol. Like maybe it's just a, a pattern or a design for a for a retro sweater. But they're not really in retro times anymore. So if she were to go through the bubble, she'd be now in like the nineties because we just had the eighties. A theory, a theory that I love. Uh, well, actually, I've only just kind of half come up with it. So um, I'm going to take credit for this, <laughs> which is that if the bubble, uh, the, the bubble expanding idea is interesting to me, like like the bubble growing and swallowing this encampment that we're seeing. And something that I've been uh, uh, a circle that I've been trying to square or a square I've been trying to circle, whatever the phrase is, um, is when they've talked about not the 90s episode, which we presume is next, but the aughts episode that comes after that. The two shows that they've referenced are Modern Family and The Office in this sort of like fun meta direct address uh, mockumentary style, both. Modern Family and The Office have this like l- like c- these confessional sections, right, of their shows. And um, in a recent trailer, we saw Elizabeth Olsen sort of like in her robe and pajamas talking to the camera being like, I don't know, maybe this is a case of the Mondays, like doing a very like Modern Family, family sitcom direct address. But what if the bubble does expand, swallows up Sword, and we get Sword colon The Office, and we get like a workplace sitcom, but make it Sword? What do you think of that idea? I love it. I mean, because really, you know, The Office tried to keep the documentary crew like a part of the story for a very long time. There were scenes where they would like take off their microphone or, you know, reference the doc team. But really, the documentary team couldn't be there. And I think there was even a joke once where Michael Scott was like, wow, you guys have really been here a long time, (laughs) you know? (laughs) It's like, you you got quite a grant there to continue this project. Um, but with Parks and Rec and Modern Family, it really just became a par- a kind of like cinematic language. The same yeah. way we got used to uh, scores in films, right? Like it used to be once talkies were introduced and you had like um, sound that was uh, merged with the picture, uh, they would do things like like in the in the Bela Lugosi Dracula movie. Like if you wanted to have s- music to set a mood you would have to have like a little chamber orchestra there like in the in the chamber you know (laughs) like and show them playing and that music is explained like that's why you're hearing music because there's music in this scene 
Um, but really its effect was to conjure a, f- a feeling. And then gradually they stopped having to like say there's actual music being played in this scene. Mm-hmm. It just becomes yeah. something that as viewers, we accept that we learn as a part of a language, just like we learn language as children. You know, this is what these sounds, w- words mean. This is what these gestures mean. We learn communication. And I think like the mockumentary format became, I mean, it kind of started with Christopher Guest, right? Or, you know, or this is Spinal Tap and Rob Reiner. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so mm-hmm. Christopher Guest. But like then The Office and then finally the last stage I think was Parks and Rec, which just said uh, in Mo- Modern Family, this is just, there isn't really a documentary team here. We're just doing these little interstitials and you're hearing the thoughts of the characters. And then we're going back to the show. Yeah. You know, back to the narrative. And yeah. it just becomes something that you kind of accept as as cinematic language. So I think they could do that. Sorry for my, they're, they're, this is the, uh, uh, the term paper I'm writing for my no, like media it. literacy class. <laughs> you know, I just think it's always interesting when some new part of language evolves and that's what this is. So yeah, if we get that with shield, uh, or sorry, it was with sword. Um, I'm all for it. I think that'd be really kind of cool. And definitely like if, if we're talking about like Dick Van Dyke show being one of the things that established like the, the language of a sitcom yeah. and how that changed with the Brady Bunch and then family ties. And uh, uh, I saw some people comparing this to Full House too, which is interesting because Elizabeth Olsen's sisters, of course, were the Olsen twins from, from that show. And, uh, and you have two twins on this program as well. So real life begins to connect to uh, – uh, fantasy life and uh the language of the entertainment we consume is part of the meta enjoyment yeah that we have of watching wandavision so it's all uh quite a quite a mix of flavors we've got here from uh from marvel studio i think it's just so funny because like you know as we as we mentioned last week sometimes a drone is just a drone and sometimes but like chasing these like weird theories uh, is really fun for me. And so like, I-, I just love that like last week or earlier this week, I had convinced myself that that whatever it is that Kat Dennings is wearing in that character poster meant she was going back to like puritanical witch times. And now I'm like, what if it's just the office? Cause I, like, cause you know, Kat Dennings has such like, and I think she mentioned this in her, in her conversation with me. She has such like a fifties aesthetic to her that I could just like see, um, uh, you know, an uh, an office version of her where she wears like really fun, beautiful uh, sweater sets and stuff like that. Like that's something that I could definitely see her and, wearing. You know, yeah. And Pam Beasley on The Office had like sweaters were her thing. Oh, right? totally. Pam, was, like, one of her signatures. Phyllis, uh, the, all the ladies were wearing sweaters in the office. So yeah, you know, this like. You know- Dunder Mifflin was a cheap company. I could see them keeping the heat low. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to like, you know, cozy Sweater up. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, lo- I love the idea of like an aughts episode where we get to cut to like Randall Park and Kat Dennings like commenting on um, their jerk boss and all this other stuff that might be happening little, there, you know? A g- gym style yeah. eye roll. Well, and also wasn't Randall Park uh, on The Office as um oh he was fake yeah, Jim. Fake Jim. yeah wasn't he yeah <laughs> asian Jim. so you know the layers they just keep coming <laughs> oh it's, it's okay now i'm gonna is that scene oh I, I guess is that scene all right or are we allowed to laugh at that one still or oh i don't know I'll, i would i will have to recheck as well um <laughs> i haven't i haven't really, watched oh it, you know but, what's you know what's interesting i haven't thought of that scene in so long but like like and god what year was it i don't know but like early gaslighting right like oh no i've always 
this is always the way I've looked. And here's a photo of me with my family. Like he just totally gaslights uh, Dwight into thinking until he's really questioning his own perception. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that like, I, and and now we and now four years later, we all we, you know after uh, you know not to get political, but like we, gaslighting is like uh, a major part of our understanding of the political world yeah, so uh, yeah. the um the um I, I like the idea of riri williams to circle back i like the idea of riri williams coming in but like i mean uh, it, it would be next level hilarious if john krasinski as richards came in in time to get to do like some sort of office thing on wandavision <gasps> that would be you know phenomenal but but i don't know it just that feels like such a heavy lift but you know maybe that's the big maybe that John Krasinski is Jim (laughs) on uh, on WandaVision, you know. That's that would that would be pretty. That would be a lot. It would be a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, so uh, let's talk about that. Okay, let's talk about cameos and appearances. We've we've gone long enough. Um, Let's talk about Evan Peters and multiverses. So so to recap really quickly, in case you don't obsessively follow these narratives on Twitter like I do, uh, Elizabeth Olsen said in an interview with TV Line that there was a cameo coming um, that had been kept under wraps. And the way it was phrased in that article, I think, was a little misleading. Not her quote, but the way it was positioned next to the interviewers um, editorializing about how this could be like on the level of Luke Skywalker in The Mandalorian. But basically, Elizabeth Olsen was just saying there was something big coming that she was surprised hadn't gotten out there yet. If you're listening to this, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that we were already pretty sure that Evan Peters was showing up. So I don't know that that's what she was talking about. But let's talk about Evan Peters uh, showing up here on WandaVision. What <laughs> what what did you think of uh, of the implications of a Fox Quicksilver showing up in a Marvel TV show? Anthony. They're clearly like, okay, so I think the reasons for that go well beyond the Wanda story that we're exploring. Like, okay, Disney purchased Fox. They now have the rights back to the X-Men. They own those movies. What do you do with them? Because they're not connected to the current universe. And this is a way to merge them, right? And they're, they're also venturing toward this multiverse idea, which is something the DC films and TV shows have already, um, you know, it pretty well established in their narrative. Uh, and it's a, it's a way of really embracing fans of different interpretations of the characters. Marvel's big thing was it's all linked. It's all one story. And the multiverse approach says it's all one story still, but you can have different levels and different, different worlds where, th- where the same characters are presented differently. You know, it's kind of what Stephen King did with his Dark Tower narrative, uh, which is like there are various levels of reality and they're all connected in one structure, uh, but they, you know, they exist in and of themselves and there are some similarities and some major differences. And so what we have here is one of the major differences linked with one of the similarities, which is she has a brother, Pietro, but he's played by the guy who played Pietro in this other property, not by... uh, um, uh, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson from the world we've already seen. So is it a way of poking a hole into the apartment next door, which is where the Fox X-Men stories are are living and letting some of those things come through and merge? Uh, I think that seems to be sort of the, 
more likely scenario. Uh, this is a way of saying we're going to pick and choose from that toy box what we want to have in ours. Mm-hmm. What do you think? And we are, yeah, no, absolutely. And we already know that they are doing something similar in Spider-Man 3, where we've got Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are, are uh, well, Andrew Garfield pretty much confirmed, Tobey Maguire rumored to be uh, these other Spider-Men to be in the Spider-Man film. And something that Kevin Feige has said is this idea of this multiverse thread is something that is going to start here with with WandaVision. Go through Spider-Man 3. I just like saying Spider-Man as if it's someone's last name. Spider-Man yeah, the 3. Spider-Man's um. down the street. Really nice family. <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> Peter Spider-Man. Um, anyway, uh, Spider-Man 3. And then maybe concluding or reaching a fever pitch or whatever in Doctor mm. Strange 2. That this is like... And like, it's wild to me that if they're going to crack the multiverse open, that... It's happening here in episode five of WandaVision. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, in case there's any questions, cause there's some, there's some doubt and, and, and rightly so that like, is this actually Pietro? I think his name is Peter actually in the X-Men films, Pietro slash Peter, uh, from the Fox films. Or is this like a villainous Mephisto or something like that, sort of pretending to be Pietro? But I will say that there's there's something once again the 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 captions or or subtitles come come in to save us. There is an option on Disney Plus that you can have audio descriptions, um, I believe, for the seeing impaired, so that they can um, understand what's happening uh, wordlessly. And um, the audio description for this moment says, "In Westview." Wanda stares at the version of Pietro from the X-Men films. So that's feels pretty, <laughs> pretty clear that that's what they're doing here. It's just not just like a, a joke that Evan Peters is here. Like this is actually, that's who's here. And his performance so, as the brother is worth it. Yeah. Can we talk about that too? The accent he's doing? Absolutely. Like, okay, who yeah. did you think of from TV history? So we talked about, like, Tom Hanks playing, like, the wacky uncle who turns out to have, like, a really sad, real backstory um, in family ties of his, uh, you know, his his struggle with alcoholism. And so then the the uncle shows up here, and he's clearly wacky and, and uh, in, in capital letters. Uh, and he's speaking with, like, a kind of – I don't know if it's, like, a Jersey accent or a New York accent, but does he remind you of any character from TV history past? <laughs> Okay, um, uh, you're obviously trying to prompt me for something, but the first thing that came to my mind, only because you've mentioned Full House, would be like Uncle Jesse, John Stamos. I don't know. What do you think? I was the, yes. I mean, clearly, like the yeah, the rebel uncle, right? But also yeah, with the leather jacket. Yeah, I was yeah. like the way he's playing it reminds me so much of John Travolta from Welcome Back, Cotter. Like, hey, oh, hey, hey up, your, Mr. Up, your, up your nose with a rubber hose, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like or uh, the Fonz, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Who, who yeah, are these definitely. like greaser characters? I guess that's what you'd call them, right? Like the fifties, like slick back hair, leather jacket, like working on your car, kind of characters who uh who like they all seem to like populate ultra white suburbia <laughs> like just pop up a random jersey guy you know like just i guess i guess welcome back cotter was like all set in like uh you know the city but like it just feels like the uh like the fawns what was the fawns doing there i don't know i just didn't hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> oh my god i love to uh 
Well, now I want Henry Winkler to be the cameo that she's talking about. Anyway, to, 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 to go back to this cameo, I don't think that Evan Peters fulfills the prompt for this, like, big cameo that nobody knows no, about yeah. or this big appearance that nobody knows about. It could just be Benedict Cumberbatch. But something that we mentioned before when we were sort of going down the, like, Brian Cranston, John Goodman theorizing rabbit hole was this quote from Paul Bettany where he said, there's an actor I've been, like, dying to work with and we have fireworks. I don't think he's talking about Evan Peters with all respect to Evan Peters. Mm. I don't think Paul Bettany like was like writing in his dream journal every night. Please let me work with Evan Peters. Mm -hmm. But like, um, you know, this, this has led me to like triangulate people's guesses against whether or not Paul Bettany has worked with them. So like some people are wondering, and it can't be Benedict Cumberbatch because Paul Bettany worked with him in the film creation. It couldn't be Ian McKellen because they were in the Da Vinci code together. Um, and, uh, Patrick Stewart is a fun guest, like people, like, cause people think, okay, hmm. Quicksilver's here from Fox. Who else from Fox is coming over in this show? Right. Um, Magneto is a big guest because in the comics, Magneto is, is Wanda's father, right? So Ian McKellen or Michael Fassbender, something people are wondering about, um, Patrick Stewart or James McAvoy. Patrick Stewart said he met with Kevin Feige, but also said he told Kevin Feige, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> like that he, he's like, I did Logan and now I'm done. Thank you very much. Uh, no, thank you. So, uh, if he's telling the truth, then we could take Patrick Stewart off the board, but it's just fun to think of like potential X-Men characters. I mean, that's the whole point of cracking the multiverse open, right? Like who's, who's going to come streaming in? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of rumors that Charlie Cox's Daredevil's going to be in the Spider-Man movie. That's fun. That's the Netflix world, the Netflix world, the Sony world, the Fox world. It's all, all these action figures are now on the board mm -hmm. for Feige and company to play with. So yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, it's a matter of what works, right? Let's keep what works. Let's not exactly. worry about what doesn't. Um, let that exactly. Be it's such a it's such a clever way for Feige to like look at these other properties because I you know like he's he's so politic. He's never like trashed these other things, but I I'm happy to trash them for him and say like there's plenty about the Netflix shows that didn't work. There's plenty about the X Men, the Fox X Men movies that didn't work, but I think Evan Peters worked. I think his Quicksilver little interludes were so fun in those movies. And I think Charlie Cox's Daredevil really worked. Like, uh, Iron Fist can stay. <laughs> like, we don't need to bring him over, right? But, like, let's bring Daredevil over. We like Charlie Cox. Mm -hmm. Why not? You know? So, like, let's just pluck what works and leave what doesn't and, and roll forward from there, you know? So, okay. So, question here for yeah. you. Could the actor that Bettany is talking about being excited to work with be Fassbender. Did we eliminate him from the board? Am I? I I don't have him off the board yet. No. But they it haven't worked together, have they? I know. I don't think so. He's on the board. So that could be. That could be it. It could be it. It could be it. So I think um, one of the things that holds me back, me back from like Patrick Stewart and um, Ian McKellen, and I don't mean this to sound ageist, but they're older gentlemen. You know, they're they're getting up there, and. Um, you want these care if you're going to introduce these characters and have them around for 10 years you want to make sure that you you know that it's not an 80 something person right you want fastbender to be magneto and be able to be in action scenes and and do things like that so i think look that's why that's why they kind of did that with x-men first class is recast the characters but then you have the older actors kind of playing them as framing devices and and so forth 
Um, but you want to hand off the, just like we talked about handing the mantle of the iconic character or the iconic hero to another character in the comic book universe, you hand the character to another actor and bring it to life. So maybe Fassbender shows up as uh, Wanda and Peter Pietro's father. Long lost, never could be spoken of before due to rights <laughs> violations, but um, helps bring them out of it. I don't know. We do get. Um, but then we have that we thing get... that their parents died, right? So that was. They're... Well, is, isn't in the comics like Wanda finds out later in life that she's Magneto's. She's actually yeah. Magneto's kid, right? So another big aspect of this that we haven't really explicitly talked about is that. Um, Pietro or Peter, uh, as played by Evan Peters, is a mutant. That's a mutant, and that's the first mutant in a Marvel. You know, they've had like, uh, oh, I, f- I forget what they called them in Agents of Shield, specials, something like, or I don't know. Anyway, they've 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 skirted around it, around the fact that they couldn't use the word mutant because they didn't have the rights to it because Fox owned it. So they haven't. So and and when I asked. Kevin Feige about like whether or not the fact that they own the word mutant now would would enable them to explore Wanda's backstory through that lens he was like we're not going backwards with that we're only going forwards with that so this idea that like the multiverse cracks open and all of a sudden mutants can be part of this universe because they were part of that other universe is fun to think about right yeah totally so there you go uh mutants are here fox is here welcome to the new era of of marvel storytelling okay we've gone on a really long time i just have one last thing to talk about Mm -hmm. are you ready? okay i promise then we'll be done um we've talked a lot about mephisto i go on and off the mephisto bandwagon you have been like very reasonable in your like i don't know if we want to do the devil here whatever (laughs) um uh, and I think that that's a very fair attitude. I am currently back off the. Me- I was on it. Now I'm off the Mephisto bandwagon. That's the joy of theorizing. You can change your mind week to week. It's okay. You can be wrong. It's okay. Um, the current theory that I've really glommed onto um, that I've heard uh, circling around is this idea that the that the villain here is uh, the character of Nightmare. Have you? Uh, thought at all or had any experience reading about nightmare no fill me in okay so nightmare is basically like a like a demon figure uh similar to mephisto but more explicitly in the realm of uh trapping people in dreams and then feeding off of them in that sort of dream world so like this idea (laughs) yeah yeah that's true that's true so this idea of like trapping someone as powerful as wanda in a dream world um, and then feeding off of grief, perhaps Um, that's something that Monica mentions when she comes out of the bubble, this idea that she felt like weighed down by grief um, is is kind of interesting. And this idea that nightmare either as Agatha or controlling Agatha in some way could be, um, could be the 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 big one behind here, and and some a little bit more information on that is that back when Scott Derrickson and and uh, and Cargill were still going to do Doctor Strange two, uh, Cargill mentioned uh, that Nightmare was their planned villain for that. Hmm. So there's there's a scenario I like where 
Doctor Strange shows up at the end of this series to sort of rescue Wanda from her own, uh, you know, bad decisions and thinks he's defeated Nightmare, but Nightmare is just hanging out waiting for the next opportunity and it boils over in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, What do you think? Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, like, I'm digesting here. You can say no. I'm digesting here, but I think, like, (laughs) I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm, I'm on board. Like, you've sold me. Like, like, let's, let's see that. (laughs) Um, I love that there is still so much, there's, that the Marvel universe is so vast, the comics universe is so vast that you can pull out characters. And I'm like, I guess I've heard of him. I know that's 100% familiar with that story, but what you described, uh, um, I'm, 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 I'm in, right? I think that's, that'd be a cool <laughs> way to set it up. Uh, is, is that where WandaVision is going? Like, how much, like, they do have to be careful how much, uh, load bearing they expect this show to do in terms of, uh, setting up its future. Uh, and we have this sort of fallow period be at the end of Endgame and as Marvel is trying to, you know, launch a whole new, um, God, what do they call the uh, the uh, the past decade, like the Infinity Saga? Right? They're trying to yeah, set up a new saga. Right. So yeah, I think I think I think Wandavision's already carrying a pretty full pack. But but yeah, if you want to introduce that, get the nightmare going. Introduce the idea of uh, uh, a little more about how the world of magic works. Then I'm in. Okay, so let me let me let me leave you with this i'm gonna read (laughs) everyone loves it on a podcast when you read from a wikipedia page right but let me read this little section from the nightmare uh article on wikipedia um the ultimate marvel incarnation of nightmare can shapeshift into different forms based on a victim's memories he appears in ultimate spider-man a demon of dreams that plagues dr strange's mind with nightmares when spider-man enters the building a misconnection led to nightmare moving to spider-man's mind where the young web slinger gets plagued by nightmares torture to torment spider-man nightmare takes the form of mary jane watson aunt may eddie brock harry osborne the green goblin dr strange eventually entered spider-man's mind via a spell and vanquished nightmare however the demon takes dr strange's own father's form after some effort, Nightmare's main appearance, a half-rotted great corpse, is revealed as he's defeated. Um, and then he escapes uh, the Sanctorum and, and possesses Doctor Strange. So if we're talking about a, tr- a multiverse trilogy of WandaVision, Spider-Man, and uh, Doctor Strange, Nightmare is sort of this overarching villain tormenting and possessing and 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 uh confusing and confounding these figures uh with dreams and nightmares and and dead characters brought back etc um that's kind of that's kind of fun and juicy to think about right it definitely fits the pattern that they've established with the show so far and its themes of grief and loss for sure all right, so we'll see. We'll see how this all turns out. Um, but it's it's just a fun thing to think. I think Nightmare is, is much more fun than Mephisto as something to think about. But once again, a drone might just be a drone. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes Quicksilver is just Quicksilver, so you never know. Um, but that is – I mean, this – I these episodes are running long, but there's just so much to talk about with uh, – 
these shows, which, you know, wasn't necessarily obviously going to be the case when it started. So it's really fun. Uh, is there anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to, to mention? The little plastic tiger that keeps turning up oh, yeah. on the show. Yes, yes. Uh, not to one more thing. Uh, talk about carrying no, yes. the pack. This episode is very long. But, but uh, it's just so conspicuous in the shots. And then there's the uh, Agatha line where she's doing, what was it, jazzercise or something? Uh, yeah. Yeah. For, to calm the babies. Uh, and she's like, you can't tame this tiger. I don't know what it means. I think maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe it's like oranges in The Godfather. Like it's just there <laughs> to catch your eye and be a little bit of a symbolism that uh, doom is near or something's afoot. But uh, uh, definitely notice that tiger. What do you think? Yeah, it's, um, it, I absolutely noticed it. It was foregrounded in a, in a couple shots. And uh, I had some questions about it. So we don't have answers, but we just wanted to let you guys know that we're asking questions <laughs> about this. I think we should read a double entendre into every single thing that Agnes ever says. Uh, so, and I would like to know what she actually sprayed on those babies. Um, but yeah, if you have any tiger thoughts, please email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. We got a bunch of great emails. Uh, Richard read a few in the first section. I'm sorry we didn't get to any in this section, but uh, I am reading all of your emails. And we will continue to do so. Um, Anthony Presnikin, where can folks find your great work? You can f- uh, find me on VanityFair.com. And uh, always happy for the clicks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find Richard there, too, as well as my work. And you can find uh, Richard on Twitter at Rylaws. I'm at Joe Wrote This. Um, and we will see you all Next week in the 90s. In the 90s. We're in the multiverse, wherever you happen to appear. (laughs) Sounds good. Bye. 